Good morning. How are we? Enjoying that cold weather? Yeah, you loved it. I know you did. Good job persevering through that cold weather and coming to church anyways. Third service, favorite among all services. That's, that's a little bit better. Joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to open the Word of God with you and study it with you today. If you have your Bible, you can head over to the book of Acts. We'll go Acts, then John, then Luke, and then we'll circle back around to Acts. So Acts, John, and Luke, if you get around there, you'll be good to go. It's January, which is the month of each year that a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. New year, new you, and all that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out every day in 2020. I'm going to eat better. I'm not going to eat anything bad in 2020. I'm going to read the Bible seven times through in 2020. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to be healthier in 2020. In 2020, I'm going to make sure I come home every day by 5 p.m. from work so that I'm here with my family. I'm going to go on more vacations in 2020, whatever it is. Sometimes it's big things for some of you. These New Year's resolutions are big things. For some of you, it's pretty small things. Like, I'm going to clean out my garage in 2020. I made that resolution in 2010. And I'm going to do it in 2020. I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to brush my teeth in 2020. (laughs) 2020 is the year of dental hygiene for me. I got some people in my family who need that New Year's resolution, actually. (laughs) Don't look at your spouse right now like that's you. You need to brush your teeth more. Hey, New Year's resolutions aren't bad. Making goals, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. But why? Why are... Why why do New Year's resolutions almost never work? Why are some of you sitting in this room right now or watching online right now and hearing me talk about New Year's resolutions and you're going, oh yeah, I had a resolution. What was it? Oh, I was going to be healthier. I was going to stop eating bad stuff. I did get rid of all the bad food in my house yesterday. It was delicious. That's not exactly what I had planned. I was going to read the Bible every day. I started a version Bible plan with friends, and I read it for like five days, and it's the 19th, so I'm 14 days behind. It's not going very well. Why is it that New Year's resolutions often don't work? I'll tell you why. It's because New Year, New You isn't true. New Year, New You. It's really more New Year, same old you, Right? It's the same you. January 1st isn't a magical date. We don't go from December into January and all of a sudden we're new and we can do whatever we want, right? It's not the way it was. just a date on the calendar. It's no, there's nothing magic about it. The problem with New Year's resolutions is that they tend to center around behavior, right? I'm going to change my behavior in this certain area in 2020. But behavior doesn't work that way. Behavior is not... An island unto itself that we can just choose to change and move in whatever direction we want it to move. It it doesn't actually work that way. Behavior is not an island unto itself. It is tethered to something. It is guided by something. And that something is our belief. So behavior is guided by, tethered to, anchored to by belief. And so if you, if you want to change your behavior, you need to first change your belief. That's the only way that you're going to change your behavior. You need to change the way you think before you can change the way you act. You have to change your belief because your belief is what guides your behavior. You tracking with me so far? Belief, or behavior I should say, is guided by belief. So if you're struggling to change your behavior, you need to look at your belief. What is it that you believe? Because that's going to guide your behavior. The reason that 2020 you will be the same as 2019 you and 2018 you and 1998 you 
is because 2020 you believes the same things that 2019 you believes and 1998 you believes. So you have to look at, so you can say, I'm going to eat better in 2020, but until you actually believe that you need to eat better or you're going to die an early death, then you're not going to change your behavior. You can say that you are going to read the Bible every day this coming year, but until you actually believe that this Bible is the word of God written to you and that in getting into it every day, you are drawing closer to a creator God who loves you and has something good for you, until you actually believe that, you're not going to change your behavior. You're not going to read the Bible every day. You can say that you're going to get home by 5 p.m instead of 6 p.m. from work every day to be with your family. But until you believe that that hour actually matters, you're not going to change your behavior. You can say you're going to go down from 12 international company trips to six international company trips to be with your family more. You can say all that, but until you actually believe that what happens in your home will far outlast, in terms of influence, will far outlast what happens in your office until you actually believe that. Your behavior will not change. So if you want your behavior to change, you need to look at your beliefs. Behavior is guided by belief. We focus on behavior a lot, right? But we need to focus on our beliefs. Behavior is guided by belief. We've decided to start 2020 off with a series on the Holy Spirit. I've just called it ghosted. Uh, to be ghosted just means that somebody stops messaging back, stops replying, leaves you know, messages or texts or emails or phone calls unreturned. They just fall off the face of the earth. They, they ghost you, right? Like a ghost. They're one day gone the next. And my point with this series is that, or at least the title of the series, is that, that we tend to do that to the Holy Spirit. That we ghost him. We ghost the Holy Ghost. We ignore the Holy Spirit, his leading, his guiding, his, his voice. We, we tend to ignore that. And that behavior, that behavior of ghosting and ignoring the Holy Spirit, that is tied to a certain belief, right? That behavior is tied to and, get, and guided by a certain belief because Jesus said in John 16, 7, that it was better for you, that, that the Holy Spirit coming is actually better for you than Jesus staying. And if we actually believed that, then we would be running after the Holy Spirit, seeking after his presence, his power, his voice every day of our lives. Behavior is guided by belief. And so we started in week one of this series talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Who, who is he? Then last week, we talked about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. If you missed those two weeks, make sure you get them online. Watch the videos so that you can catch up and understand this message in its context. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to endeavor to not change your behavior, but to change some of your beliefs. I want to look at Maybe some misunderstandings and some misconceptions about the power of the Holy Spirit in the hopes that in correcting those misunderstandings and correcting those beliefs, we may be able to create new beliefs that then will create new behaviors. Are you tracking with me? The power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. And so the Gospel of Luke, that writer, he, write, he wrote Acts. And so Luke, or I should say Acts, is actually like second Luke. Okay, so if you, we made up the names, by the way. So not, not me, I didn't make them up, but like some other people did, all right? So they, they weren't in the, in the books. And so Luke, if you read the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and you skip over John, and you get to, you get to chapter 24, and you skip over John, and you go straight to Acts chapter 1, then it reads really Really great, because it's the same writer. He's writing both accounts, Luke and, and Acts. And so in Acts, some interesting things 
happen. And I want to I want to show you some of those things. And I, I basically I'm struck by the behavior of the early church, the apostles, the believers in Jesus in the first century, the, the behavior, their behavior as it relates to, to the Holy Spirit. And, and I think that this behavior is tied to a belief, guided by a belief that maybe you and I struggle to have. Maybe you and I don't have this belief. Let me show you what I mean. We'll just go through Acts, and I'm going to show you a bunch of different scriptures and how they behaved in regards to the Holy Spirit. The early church seemed to do the opposite of ghosting the Holy Ghost. He was involved in everything. The Holy Spirit was involved in everything in the book of Acts. In fact, we call it the Acts of the Apostles. It really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is doing all the work in the book of Acts. And so, Right off at the beginning, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, the apostles are, are we, we open the book with the apostles just waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit before they step out. There's a lot to do, but they wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before they step out and do something, do the mission of Christ, accomplish the mission of Christ. And, and so uh, we'll come back to that in Acts 1 and 2 here in a minute. But then in Acts 5, a couple in the church, they, they lie about a financial gift that they want to give the church. They say that they sold this field and all the money is going to go to the church when in fact they're holding back some of the money. No big deal except for that they lied. And Peter says this in Acts 5 verse 3 to the man. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Not to lie to the church or, or the apostles, but to lie to the Holy Spirit. Then a little later, the wife lies and Peter asks her this question. How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord. And then 5.32, Acts 5.32, the apostles are being questioned and ordered not to talk about Jesus anymore. They say, we got to obey God more than we obey man. But then they say this interesting thing in verse 32. And we, the apostles say, we are witnesses and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching. He's basically giving a crash course to the Jewish people about their own history. And, and in regards to listening to the prophets and listening to God and, and how Jesus is the Messiah. And he says this in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And then there's Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Peter is explaining to the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church why he thought it necessary or good to go to a Gentile's house, a guy named Cornelius's house, and that he, it, why did he end up baptizing them? First Gentiles to be baptized into the faith, into following Jesus. And so that all happened in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11 is Peter explaining it to the leaders in Jerusalem, and he says, hey, some Gentiles from Cornelius' house, they came to my house, they came to my door, and he says this in verse 12, and the Spirit told me to go with them. The Spirit told me to go with them. And then in Acts eleven twenty-eight, it says that, that prophets, not Old Testament prophets, but prophets in the church, that they were told by the Spirit that there was gonna be a severe famine. And then there was a severe famine. And then in Acts 13, verse four, it says this of Paul in Barnabas, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And then, and then I love this in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is basically a letter sent by the leaders of the Jerusalem church to all of these Gentile churches popping up all over the place. And the letter, the message of the letter is basically that, that they don't have to be Jewish people. They don't have to be Jews in order to be Christian, okay? So that's basically the, the letter's message. But it says this in the middle of this letter in verse 28 of chapter 15. They write, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. I mean, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is sitting at the table, right? When they're making this decision, like, Holy Spirit, what do you think? All right, that seems good to us. What do you think? Okay, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that, that we lay on you no other burdens. In Acts 15, they, they say this, Acts 15 in this letter from the Jerusalem church. 
And then Acts 16.6, Luke is writing about where Paul and Barnabas end up going in their missionary journeys. And, and he writes this um, in verse 6, starting in verse 6 of Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia. You guys just came through Phrygia on your way in. And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit is their travel guide. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't go to Asia. No, not Bithynia. No, you need to go over here. You guys can't go there. You got to change course here. Then Paul is talking to some believers in Acts 19, people who he thinks are believers in Jesus in, in the city of Ephesus. And he, he asks them this interesting question that we'll come back to in a second. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Later in that chapter, verse 21, Paul is resolved, it says, or compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Macedonia. So the Spirit says, no, nope, not Asia. No, nope, not Bithynia. Okay, go to Macedonia. The Spirit is leading him to Macedonia. Then in Acts 20, Paul says this in verse 22, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me, tells me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Then a few verses later, he's talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus and he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And there's more all throughout the book of Acts. There's, there's more that we just don't have time to get into. But it seems like in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. I mean, he's involved in everything. I mean, the way the church, the early church, the apostles, the believers in Jesus, in the way that they behaved when it comes to the Holy Spirit and his work. I mean, they included him in everything. He was right there with them the whole time, speaking, leading, guiding, stopping, releasing, appointing leaders for the church, sending them to new people groups and new nations, giving them discernment to handle problems in the early church. I mean, what was common in the book of Acts seems rare now, wouldn't you say? And what was common in the book of Acts Seems rare. Now, if one of these things that I just mentioned, if just one of them happened in your life, it would be like a, it'd be crazy, right? I mean, you'd be jumping up and down. You'd be writing books. You'd be doing all this stuff because this one thing happened in your life. What, what was common in the book of Acts in regards to the Holy Spirit seems, seems rare now. But, but we can't just change our behavior because that. That's kind of our tendency. Okay, well, let's just act like they did in the book of Acts. Let's just do what they did. But this behavior that we, we see in the book of Acts, this pattern, this is tied to a certain belief. And so we can't just resolve ourselves to all of a sudden act like the believers did in the book of Acts. We have to, we have to change our belief. We have to look at what belief guided those believers in, in the early church to act the way that they did. Maybe the early church believed some things, one thing in particular that, that you and I, we, we just don't believe. And I think it really goes back to, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. But let me, something Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. But let me, let me um, show you the, the progression here first. The Bible is generally split up into two parts, right? Two main parts. What are those called? The Old Testament and, and the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The thing is, though, that, that as we look at how God has chosen to relate to mankind since creation, it's less about Old Testament and New Testament, and it's more about the Old Covenant, and the new covenant. 
And when we talk about old, we're not talking about old as in my old phone that I don't need anymore and I toss it out and I get a new phone, right? We're not talking about old as in worn out and useless. In fact, a better word for this wouldn't be old covenant, but it would be the before covenant. And this wouldn't be new covenant, it would be the after covenant. Before and after what? So that's where it gets a little confusing because our Bible is divided by the birth of Jesus Christ, right? But the birth of Jesus Christ isn't the dividing line for the new covenant and the old covenant, the the after covenant and the before covenant. It's not like Malachi is old covenant, it ends, and then Matthew chapter 1 starts this new covenant, this after covenant, and that's, that's different from then on. The dividing line for the old covenant and the new covenant, the after covenant and the before covenant is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so before the resurrection, God decided he was going to relate to mankind in a certain way. Then after the resurrection, we know he relates to us in the way that we're used to, right? Through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross, his sacrifice, his defeat of sin at the cross, his defeat of death in the resurrection, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection is the dividing line between the before covenant and the after covenant. So Jesus, he, he's born in, in Matthew chapter 1, in the beginning of Luke, you know, the New Testament, he's born, he lives a sinless life, and he, he ends up gathering some disciples, right? Twelve main disciples, right? But then Jesus, he, he dies. He dies on a cross, and, and none of his disciples are expecting him to resurrect, None of his disciples are waiting outside of the tomb. I know that's hard to believe because he said he was going to resurrect a few times. But hindsight's 2020, especially in 2020, right? Special hindsight this year. We're going to keep that joke going all 12 months of 2020. And so hindsight's 2020. But the thing is, if you were the disciples, you wouldn't have got it either. You wouldn't have been waiting outside of the tomb. The mindset wasn't there. Jesus talked in parables that are on their face are hard to understand. The only reason you might understand some is because we got 20,000, no, 2,000 years of church history to help us understand. Books, and now you got podcasts and whatever else to help you understand. So, so, So you wouldn't have gotten it either. Nobody's waiting outside the tomb for him to resurrect. But Jesus does, in fact, resurrect. He does defeat death and he comes out of the tomb. And the Bible says that, that he spends 40 days with the disciples. He appears to the disciples for a period of 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, he then ascends into heaven, right? His ascension. So he appears, he resurrects, he appears for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven where the Bible says he now is at the right hand of the Father. The Bible also teaches us that it's about seven to ten days between his ascension and Pentecost. Pentecost is what we call what happened in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2. So, Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he resurrects back to life, appears to the apostles for 40 days, ascends into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Seven to ten days after that, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the apostles are there, the disciples are there. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this is kind of the timeline of what happened with Jesus and the new covenant beginning. I want to show you something interesting that happens in John chapter 20 and in Luke chapter 24, okay? So John chapter 20, at the beginning of this 40 days, when Jesus first appears to the disciples, John chapter 20, starting in verse 21, I'll read it to you, John 20, 21, it says this, Jesus said to them, peace be with you, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, 
receive the Holy Spirit. So he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, the disciples become the first believers in this after covenant, this new covenant. They put their faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God. They put their faith in his sacrifice on the cross, his defeat of death in the resurrection. They become believers. They have saving faith. They're saved in John chapter 20, verse 22. And all of this happens at the beginning of these 40 days when Jesus first appears to the disciples in John chapter 20. But then What happens in Luke 24 is interesting. Luke 24 is at the end of these 40 days. So Luke chapter 24. At the end of Luke, at the end of these 40 days, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he says to the disciples, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. And then um, he says this to them in Luke 24, 49, the end of the 40 days, about to ascend into heaven. And he says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. With power from on high. And then the book of Luke ends with Jesus ascending into heaven and the disciples worshiping Jesus and being filled with great joy. And then Luke, because he wrote the book of Acts as well, he tells us some other things that Jesus said at the same time. So Acts chapter 1 is happening at the same time as Luke chapter 24. Acts 1 verse 4 repeats what Luke 24, 49 just said. And while staying with them He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't leave. Stay in Jerusalem, but read the rest. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Now look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Power to, to witness. Power to witness. So that they were saved. When Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, verse 22, when he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, they were the first believers in the new covenant, the after covenant. They believed in Jesus' resurrection, his death on the cross, his sacrifice. He's the son of God. They believed at the beginning of those 40 days. But then in Luke 24, Jesus tells them, okay, wait. You haven't received everything. You need to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you are Clothed with power from on high until you get the, the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. Wait in Jerusalem. Why? Because you're going to need power to carry out the mission I've been talking to you about for like three years. The mission that I've been to, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. You're going to need help. You are not going to be able to do this by yourself. And so Jesus goes, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And, and you're going to be clothed in power from the Holy Spirit. It's going to be this significant thing. And then listen, they waited. They went to Jerusalem and they waited. Now, that's the behavior of the apostles, the disciples, in Acts chapter 1 and 2. They they waited. And then the result of them waiting is that Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon them. So there's this sound of a mighty wind, and and there's tongues of fire, like levitating over everybody's heads. They're up in this upper room, kind of kind of holed up and waiting for what can happen. They don't know what's gonna happen. All this begins to happen. They begin to speak in other languages. And the Bible says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're emboldened and they walk out from this little room that they're holed up in. They walk out and they begin to preach with this power that they've never had before. And 
Because it was Pentecost, Pentecost didn't start in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost goes back to Leviticus 23. It's a feast of the Jewish people, of the Israelites. And because it was Pentecost, there were all these people from all these nations in Jerusalem. And as the, the apostles, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, began to preach the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody who was there heard that message in their own language miraculously. And 3,000 people gave their lives over to Jesus Christ. The church was born, and then the pattern that we saw in the book of Acts begins. They are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit at every single turn. He is involved in every move, speaking, guiding, stopping, releasing, sending, appointing leaders and overseers, sending them to new people groups and new nations. So what is the belief that led to this behavior? First the waiting, and then all the rest that we see in the book of Acts. What's the belief that the early Christians, the apostles, the early church had that maybe you and I struggle with. They believed that they could not carry out the mission of Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. They were utterly convinced that they needed to wait, that Jesus was right. They needed to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before they stepped out and tried to accomplish the mission of Christ in their world. They were convinced that they didn't just need to be saved, they didn't just need to get saved, but they needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If this thing was going to outlast them, if this Jesus movement was going to go past their lifespan, they were going to need the power from the Holy Spirit. That's why in Acts chapter 8, when the apostles hear that, that there's this, this group in Samaria, um, in Acts chapter 8, there's this, these believers in Samaria. It says this, and in verse 14 of Acts chapter 8. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Beloved, the the apostles didn't hesitate. They go, oh, the, the gospel's taking root in Samaria? Great, let's send some people to pray for them so that they receive the Holy Spirit also. So that they receive the Holy Spirit too. Let's go lay hands on them and pray for them so that they get the Holy Spirit. That's why in Acts 19, when, when Paul thinks he's talking to believers in Jesus, it's natural for him to ask this question. It's natural for him to go, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They believed that they didn't just need to be saved but they needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So behavior is guided by belief. So what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about the Spirit's filling of of a believer in Christ? Look back at Acts chapter 1 really quick. We looked at it a moment ago. Just look at verse 5. Jesus is speaking and he says, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does that mean? To be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does Paul mean when he asks about them receiving the Holy Spirit? What does it mean in Acts chapter two that the apostles, the disciples, they were were filled with the Spirit? But what does that mean? Here's here's what I think it means. Here's what I think it means. To be filled with the Spirit means to receive power from the Spirit to carry out the mission of Christ. 
To be filled or baptized in the Spirit, it means to receive power from the Spirit to carry out the mission of Christ. So if we were to boil down the baptism, the filling in the Holy Spirit that we see in the book of Acts, if we were to boil that down into three words, it would be these three words. Power for mission. That's what it's all about. Power for mission. This is about you accomplishing the mission of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, where you live in this, on this earth. You see, when you get saved, it changes you, maybe a few others. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes your neighborhood, your community, your city, your nation, your world. Power, power for mission. Your behavior is guided by your belief. So what do you believe about the Holy Spirit's filling of a follower of Jesus Christ? A lot of us have this belief that when we first gave our lives to Jesus, in that moment, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we received all of the Holy Spirit, all of his gifting, and we were able to hold on to it, and that's it. Once, once you're saved, that's all you get. You, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit, right? And you're, you're okay. Like, I'm just, I got saved, and I got what I got, and I'm done. Like, that's what the, I got all the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get. I got all the gifts of the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get. I, I, I was saved, and I got the Holy Spirit, and that's, and that's it. Well, let's follow that belief out to the behavior that it creates. Many of you who believe that about the Holy Spirit, you don't really do anything for the mission of Christ on earth. You don't really, you're saved. I got saved. I go to church, but that's, that's really it. You can't imagine talking to your neighbors openly about Jesus and how he's the way to the Father and how their sin will send them to hell and they need, they need Jesus. You can't imagine that, having the strength to that. You're too scared. You can't imagine praying for a coworker in the moment when they have a need, praying over them. You can't imagine that. You can't imagine leading someone to Christ. A lot of you who have that belief, the behavior it creates is that you do really nothing for the mission of Christ on earth. And that may offend you. You may get offended by that. But it really only really comes down to one question. The mission of Jesus, he said, was to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And our part of that mission, very clear, great commission, make disciples. That's it. Go make disciples. So it really boils down to one question. Are you making disciples? Ha- Have you ever made a disciple? Are you discipling someone right now? Are you making disciples? That's the mission of Christ. Are you making disciples? Not not your kids, because your kids are going to be your disciples whether you like it or not, right? You're either going to lead them to righteousness or unrighteousness, and they're going to follow along like little ducks. They are your disciples by virtue of the fact that they are your kids. I'm talking about something different. Are you making disciples? That's what it comes down to. The belief or the behavior that that belief creates is that we don't really do anything for the mission of Christ. And some of you, you do stuff for the mission of Christ. You have that belief, but, but you've gone out and you've tried to make disciples. You've tried to you've accomplish the mission of Christ in your neighborhood and your world. But somewhere along the way, you hit a brick wall. And it got difficult and the success you were seeing stopped. And, and because you have this belief that you got everything you could ever get from the Holy Spirit when you were saved and, and you got this gift, but you can't get any other gift and, and you can't get any more. And, and because you believe that, you've been ghosting the Holy Ghost your whole Christian life. And so you don't have it in you. You don't even have the thought or the inclination to run back to the Holy Spirit, to be filled again, to be gifted again, to be given something different, to get through that brick wall that you're hitting. So you give up. You give up. That's the behavior that that belief creates. But the belief itself doesn't make a lot of sense. Not in light of what we just went through in Acts, does it? I mean, the disciples were definitely saved in Luke 24 when Jesus told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. They were already saved, regenerated. 
They had already had saving faith in the, the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were saved. Luke was careful to write in Acts 8 that those people in Samaria had believed the gospel that Philip preached. They had been baptized. They had believed. And yet, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, had not fallen on them yet. So salvation and, and being filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit, they don't, they don't seem like the same thing, do they? They don't seem like the same. Not in the book of Acts, they don't seem like the same thing. So what, man, what's going on here? Well, what's happening? Let me, let me pull it together this way. Some people have endeavored to explain this, this pattern we see in the book of Acts, by saying that there must be a second work, a second event in the life of the believer, a one-time event. You're saved, and then there's this second event that doesn't have to do with you going to heaven, but it has to do with you being empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission of Christ, and it's this one-time thing. You're baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, and from then on, you can do something for Jesus. It's this one thing, and it's subsequent later than, than salvation. It could happen at salvation, right after salvation, or it could be a day or a week or a decade before that baptism in the Holy Spirit happens. And listen, in reading the book of Acts, I understand where they get that. I mean, in reading the pattern, I get where they're coming from. I do. But I think it's a mistake to limit the baptism in or being filled by the Holy Spirit to a one-time event, whether that be at salvation or sometime afterward. What I'm saying is that we, as Christ followers, continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These, these experiences of being empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts, in our Christian life, we need that over and over and over again. Well, what I'm saying is that we're like, we're like leaky buckets, right? We got holes, man. We're leaking because of our sin that we will struggle with as long as we are in this life. Because of our imperfection, we will at times and maybe often grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled over and over and over. And not to mention we're supposed to be pouring ourselves out for others, right? So we need to be filled and refilled, baptized and rebaptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered and re-empowered in the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And if you just take a beat and think about it a second, just think about your life, you'd have to agree that over the span of your life, depending on what you're facing, depending on your specific assignment within the, the mission of Christ, depending on what you're going through in that season, you have needed more and different things from the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, you have to agree with that. Just take a beat and think about it. You, you've needed more and different things from the Holy Spirit. And so based on that belief, then our behavior should be that we go to the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, asking that he would baptize us in his spirit again, that he would fill us again. We're leaking. We need, we need more of you, Holy Spirit. We would ask over and over and over again for that power on high. Listen, beloved, not so that you can be awesome, okay? Not so that you can show off to your friends. Not so that you can say, hey, look at me. I made it to level seven of the Holy Ghost game. What are you, level six? Too bad. Come up here to my level. It's a, beloved, it's not about you. The baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, is not a, it's not about you. It's about the mission of Christ. It's about, it's about the world. It's about a neighborhood, a community, a city, a nation, a world full of lost people who don't yet have what you have already found in Christ. It's about the world. It's not about you. And so I believe that he is faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful to fill us and baptize us and give us exactly what we need in the moment to carry out the mission of Christ on earth. I have found him faithful personally. 
I pray all the time, Holy Spirit, fill me again. I pray before I preach, Holy Spirit, baptize me again because I don't want this to be for nothing. I want it to be worth something. I want some people to give their lives to you. I want some people to take their next steps towards you. I want some people, you know, this is a crazy prayer, but I want some people to actually get on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out from this silly building and go out and win people to Christ. I actually want to see neighborhoods transformed and communities changed and nations brought back to Jesus Christ. And Jake Mills can't do it. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I have found him faithful to fill me and baptize me and empower me and equip me again and again and again. So I end this message with the same question that Paul asked in Acts 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's possible that you didn't. What about since then? Do you think that your salvation, your faith in Christ is really just about you and getting saved? Or do you think it's about the mission of Christ on earth that you are supposed to participate in? Nations coming to know Christ one one neighbor at a time. Do you believe that you're to participate in the mission of Christ on earth, have you, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to fill you, to baptize you? Have you asked him to do that? Have you asked anybody else to lay hands on you and pray that you would be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit like we saw in Acts over and over and over? Have you limited the filling of the Holy Spirit to a one-time event? Or do you think that he wants to fill you continually over and over and over so, you, so that you can carry out more and more of the mission of Christ. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? What about since then? At all of our campuses, Germantown, Washington, online, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, thank you for your word that is both timeless and timely, never changes, and it always changes us. Holy Spirit, you know my prayer, that you would permeate this place, that you would baptize people, that you would fill people, that you would empower your children to carry out your mission. I pray for the, the person in this room who would, who would respond with pride to this message. Somebody who would say, man, I've been a Jesus follower. I've been a church person. I, I gave, for years and years, I gave, I got baptized when I was seven. I, I got all the Holy Spirit. I, I'm good to go. How could you say that I don't, I, I pray that for that pride, against that pride, that Holy Spirit, you would overcome that pride. That they would simply answer, answer the question, have I, have I made disciples? Am I, am I making disciples? Am I a part mission of Christ on earth in my neighborhood? Am I a part of that? Am I carrying it out to the power of the Holy Spirit? That you would replace that pride with humility. That we would respond humbly and just say, God, I just need you. Holy Spirit, I just need you. I can't do this alone. I can't do this without your power. I need you to baptize me, to fill me to change me, to equip me and empower me again and again and again. That it would be replaced with this hunger for your spirit to carry out the mission of God, this passion that begets humility, that begets hunger. That our behavior would be that we run to you because our belief is that we need you. So I pray for everyone who would say they're a Christ follower. I pray for them in this way. And for those 
who are not Jesus followers listening online or in this room today. Maybe this is hard to understand. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to get their minds around. Lord, I just, I think that's probably because they have yet to surrender their life over to you, Jesus. They have yet to fully follow you, become a follower of yours. So I pray that today is the day, the day of their salvation, when they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit enlightens their truth to that gospel, that Jesus entered human history, that he died in their place on the cross, took their punishment for their sin, and then he rose back to life again. He defeated death, and he sent the Holy Spirit to live in them. I pray that this gospel truth sinks deep into their heart like a seed and there finds good soil, takes root, bears fruit even today. I pray for repentance, for confession, for just a a reckless abandon, a, a total surrender to you, Jesus. And that from this day forward, they would be utterly dependent on your Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them, to send them, to stop them, to release them, to appoint overseers in their lives, to give them discernment. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would would do this in the lives of many. They would give their lives over to you today, not leave here the same they came in, but be transformed by the truth of your gospel and the power of your spirit. May we run to you, Holy Spirit, every moment of every day, not just to make it, not just to get through the day, but to accomplish your mission on earth. We love you and we put this all in your hands and trust you with it. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May our beliefs about the Holy Spirit be correct so that our behaviors will follow. May we seek the Spirit's filling at all times. And may the power of the Holy Spirit lead us to accomplish the mission of Christ right where we live. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, You haven't yet gotten plugged into Great Oaks. That's okay. We'll get you plugged in. We got some life group leaders out in the foyer all over at tables. They'll love to get you plugged into a life group before you leave today. As always, my challenge to you is that you leave here not dismissed, but sent. Go be a Jesus follower who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, makes and disciples other Jesus followers.